0: I'm not sure I've ever thought of it before, that arrangement to sing about the depths of God's grace against the backdrop of the house of the rising sun, our adultery before God against the backdrop of his incredible grace. John said at the beginning, we gather on a day like this, and it's hard to know what you say on. Good Friday, I actually ran into John Weinster right before we walked in here, and he said he didn't know what to say to me. Do I tell you good luck break a leg before you preach? What do you tell somebody before they preach the gospel? I had a friend who always told me, Aaron, give them heaven. (laughs) That seemed rather appropriate. What do you say to someone when you greet them on Good Friday, though? I went back and looked at the first three passages in Scripture, where we are commanded to come before God in worship, to celebrate the feasts. And in each of those commands, it's marked with joy. We are commanded to celebrate. We are commanded to come forth in joy. We are commanded to come forward and celebrate. And we do that on all the big holidays. You celebrate Christmas. You celebrate Easter. You celebrate Thanksgiving. You celebrate the 4th of July, but on Good Friday, there's a certain element of a spiritual ambivalence. An element of lament. And because we live in that ambivalence, we're given a book that offers us the opportunity to both lament and celebrate. The full range of human emotions shared by the one who came to walk in our skin too. He cited from this psalm on the cross, from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As God forsook God in that moment, I don't even know how to explain that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. The psalm continues on from there, but if I just turn the page and go to Psalm 23, the very next psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And in this rare weekend, we're called to experience and remember and commemorate and celebrate the full range of what Christ entered into with us in the weekend of our spiritual ambivalence. And yet that's my life, isn't it? Every day my life betrays my intentions and the promises that I make to God on Sunday I experience whiplash on Monday from because I have already abandoned everything I ever promised him and told him I do. I walk through a process with the pastor up front through confession and assurance and it doesn't take me very long on Monday to get back to Betrayal. In the Gospels, the disciples fail to comprehend again and again and again what Jesus is teaching him, and now, now in this crucial moment, they not only fail to comprehend, now they fail to actually follow. See, before they always failed, even in the midst of their lack of understanding, but now, they even fail to follow. As his best friends betray him, as I betray him. I want to read through some of these passages with you today as we find our place in this story we pick it up in the gospel of john right after jesus has called out judas and judas has left the room when he was gone jesus said now the son of man is glorified and god is glorified in him if god is glorified in him god will glorify the son in himself and will glorify him at once My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. But by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going you cannot follow now. But you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you before the rooster crows. You will disown me. Three times. Oh, impetuous Peter. The mouthpiece of all of my good intentions. Peter, nicknamed by Jesus himself the rock. Petros, rock. Rock, the most steady, sturdiest of things. And yet Peter also petrified. So frightened that one is actually unable to move both rock and petrified at the same time. It's my faith a lot of days. But Peter wants to wish it into existence. I will lay down my life for you. And yet he wants it on his own terms. Kind of like me. Jesus wants him right after this in the scene to pray with him. Three times he asks him, and three times Peter falls asleep. Peter didn't even have to wait till the verbal denial. His actions already betray Jesus' intentions and requests. He can't even pray with him, let alone walk with him through suffering. Ever missed your devotions? Ever been so busy you forgot to pray? Ever been so stuck in your own sin you didn't even know what to say? Or felt so much shame you didn't even dare come before God's face because it scared you. I actually hadn't had this since I first started preaching. I got to this part of the text this morning, going back through it again. And I don't know why it hit me in the gut so hard, but I ran out of the room and I vomited. The thought that all of this is in us. The presence of God and the blackness of my sin. The flesh of all of my desires imposed upon God. And the redemptive work of his son in me all at the same time. I couldn't contain it. I threw up. Peter kind of does too, doesn't he? In the next scene, they go out in the garden, and Peter, I guess, meant what he said. I'm willing to die for you. You ever wonder why Peter was carrying a sword to go pray? A weapon, whatever it is, represents the imposition of our will upon somebody else. Peter didn't want to come along with Jesus in order to pray that they would both be bent to his father's will. Peter wanted to take his enemies and bend them to his will at the point of a sword. Peter carrying a sword to a prayer meeting. Which turns into a betrayal. And the slippery slope on the Mount of Olives continues the slide. We'll jump now to just after the arrest as the story keeps going. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked him. His failed prayer now turns into failed words and actions. And his failing actions morph quickly into Peter's denial of even being associated with Jesus. So too, so often, my own actions. Monday morning whiplash. Sunday's promises disappear so quickly and like a dog that returns to its vomit, we go back. In Matthew, Jesus predicts it like this. This very night, you will all fall away. Not speaking just to Peter, but to everyone. I'm afraid to me too, you will all fall away. We are all so broken. We all stand leveled before the cross. I attended a workshop last weekend with Tish and harrison Warren when she was here, and she said this line that's been stuck in my head ever since. I have more in common with my greatest enemy than I have with Jesus. See, before the cross, both me and my enemy are the person that I dislike in this world the most, or I'm having the hardest time. I still find such commonality with them because we are all, all so broken before the cross. And so how do I find this way, my way into this story? I am Peter's denial. And I am Judas's kiss. I am Pilate's hands that have washed themselves of Jesus' time and again. And regardless of what I say, my life keeps failing. And I can't get there and I can't do it on my own. I can't make it happen. And yet it only gets worse. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself, so they asked him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? The second chance to make things right, to come back to the promise. I will die with you. But instead he denies it and says, I I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, Didn't I see you with him in the garden?" And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. How it's recounted in the Gospel of Luke, the same scene. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And then this the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter, who has claimed to be his best friend, turns to him and sells him out. At least Judas got 30 pieces of silver for it. Peter I don't know if you've ever wronged somebody horribly. You didn't know how to look at them. If you can recall a moment when you were caught in a lie and then just doubled down or tripled down when caught again after that. Where our brokenness only spawned more brokenness. Your sin begat more sin. And the cycle just kept feeding on itself. Your own sickness revealed over and over again. And so what's left but to head outside and to weep bitterly? Jesus predicted this too. Earlier in Luke, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift all of you as wheat. Not just him, all of us. The process takes place in your life and in mine again and again and again. The temptations come. And this is where we relate to Peter's brokenness. And his failure. And even his denial. You are the target of Satan's hatred. Of every sickness invoked, every plague that is ravaged, every war that has been waged. The evil one has every intent to seek, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Peter felt it that night. But then this, but I have prayed for you. To sift all of you a weed. I was struck by this line. Jesus prays. For me. In my moment of weakness, and why i outfail, fail? And surely there is no other prayer on the planet or in history or the universe that could come before this father and, and say this. But I have prayed for you. Jesus prays for me, intercedes for me. Not only in his words and in his prayers, but in his actions. As the arms of heaven, outstretched in that moment, welcome all, regardless of what we've done, how far I've fallen, how much I've denied him, how broken I am, how sick and black my heart is. He prays for me. And stretches out his arms for me. And heaven's invitation comes in that action that your faith may not fail, but Jesus, I have failed you again and again and again. And when it's all said and done, and the disciples have gathered in a room and locked the door for fear of the Jews, fear the very definition of unbelief. They still fail to believe. For all those moments where you have failed to believe, for all of those, you and I find ourselves there in that room too, imprisoned by our own fears, afraid that God cannot deliver us even there in our own moments of our greatest weakness, our deepest temptations, and the ways all of our actions have denied Him. But as you know, and John already told us too when we started. We also know the end of this story. And our waiting is not in vain. Jesus re-engages Peter on the other side of the grave with death in his rear view mirror and nothing but eternity left in front of him before a best friend who sold him out couldn't even stick with him after promising to do so. They meet on a beach one day. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. Like Peter had any right to be hurt. Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And for every time that Peter failed to pray, Jesus reinstates him. For every time that Peter denies him, Jesus reinstates him. For every time that you have failed on your promises before God and your petitions and your prayers, God will not fail you. God won't fail our failure. And the invitation stands And seven billion people live in this moment, breathing air granted to them by God and the promise of an invitation into a future with him, regardless of what you have done, what you have thought, what you have wished, the worst of me, the parts that need to be vomited out. He finds me there. And so this is the moment of our anticipation and our wait. That's why this day matters, because we're kind of living Good Friday every single day until we part from this world. We sit in that tension, in that spiritual ambivalence. Bob Goff said it like this. Darkness fell. His friends scattered. Hope seemed lost. But heaven just started counting to three. Daughter's face, but strange now it seems like some dark and distant dream. She's seen empires come and go. Watch the kingdom's children grow. Sparks and embers far from home. Born to shine and to behold. Cause on our chain is a lock and the key. i mm-hmm. Please rise. These arms allowed themselves to be stretched on this place, engraving your name on his hands forever, revealing the full extent of his love in order that they might be wrapped around you. You. In all your brokenness that you would share in his glory. Have a beautiful Easter weekend and see you Sunday. Amen.